Welcome into episode number two of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg with you. As always, you can find us here on the audio medium. You can find us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod. You can find us on Instagram at DFA podcast, TikTok as well. Josh, uh, lots to get to. The first series of the season is in the books for your Toronto Blue Jays, a two and one record after dropping the series finale, unable to get the sweep against the Rangers in game number three. We'll get into all of the big, the small details of the first three games of the season. But uh, initially, a couple of thoughts. I mean, first of all, uh, we uh, saw all the response and uh, all the excitement surrounding the uh, first episode of our podcast. Just want to thank everybody, basically, for uh, all the love and support that they've shown us so far. They did a lot of that prior to the taping of our first show, but just to see all the uh, positive reaction following episode number one, definitely want to give a thanks to all the uh, loyal listeners out there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like we said last week, you know, you never know how it's going to go when you're like, we're going out somewhat of on a limb here. I I understand that there's a ton of excitement and optimism around the team and content is, is always going to be uh, really enjoyed when the team is good and fun to talk about, but still it was nice to know that, you know, people were excited about the prospect of us doing it. And honestly, uh, it was just so good to be watching baseball again, meaningful yeah. baseball. And I put air quotes around meaningful because it's the first three games of the season. <laughs> and you wouldn't necessarily know that if you looked at my Twitter, I'm guilty of it sometimes and blue Jays Twitter as a whole, but that's what makes it so great. I think you know, it's a blessing and a curse type thing where you live and die sometimes on every little thing that happens. And then you look and it's like, oh, well, they took two out of three and newsflash. It is April the 10th. As we record this, there's a lot of baseball to be played long way to go and winning two of the first three, no matter how bumpy it was at times uh, is a pretty damn good result. Absolutely. So like I said, we will get into the full details of the weekend that was for the Toronto Blue Jays, but a little bit more housekeeping. And uh, of course, in episode one, we had our uh, bold predictions. And for whatever reason, Josh, maybe the baseball gods thought they were too bold, too spicy for uh, the content. And uh, we got hit a little bit hard, you and I. Uh, You probably harder than I did. You, of course, had Mm -hmm. Greg Bird, uh, 15 homers (laughs) or more as one of your bold predictions. And shortly after, I, I mean, he chose to be released he exercised his clause it wasn't as if the blue jays were like oh that's too spicy we're gonna make a move here and just completely wreck josh's bold predictions but uh greg bird who i guess was uh moonlighting as a spy for the yankees for a couple of weeks in the uh, blue jays organization decides to go back to the bronx and uh, try to figure it out through the minor leagues there but that stung for you and uh, same Mm -hmm. for me who uh had nate pearson making the all-star team still on the board but uh, Nate Pearson being diagnosed with uh, mononucleosis and is going to be out for a while. Trailer Montoyo saying on Saturday, I believe, that he's been uh, basically pushed back to the start of spring training where he's got to build up all the way back. So uh, it's definitely uh, a situation we were, where we're both behind the eight ball in some of our bold predictions so far. But uh, what have you replaced your Greg Bird bold prediction with, if I uh, remember correctly? You had something on Twitter, but I forgot. It's not good. It's not, not off to a good start. It was Jose Barrios as a oh. finalist for the American League Cy Young and he got one out on opening night. It was a complete and utter, excuse my French, shit show for him. It was a disaster. <laughs> so I, I'm not, I, I said this today and I you know, said it on Twitter and I'll say it here. I'm not worried so much about pitching right now. Like obviously you'd like guys to go more than one out and Hyunjin Ryu wasn't very good today. But guys are still building up. And the fact that spring training was basically half the length of time that it usually is, I know that they, it's different. It's not like the, the COVID situation where they couldn't really work out. They were still simulating, but it's still different. You know, you didn't have a lot of live game action. Guys are still building up, getting familiar, uh, getting on the same page uh, as their catcher in certain situations, figuring out what works, what doesn't. So I'm not super, super panicked. Uh, about any of the starting pitchers. And I'm certainly not backing down or getting off the horse of Jose Brios having a Cy Young caliber season just because of one dumpster fire of a start. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he bounces right back against the Yankees on Wednesday and has a quality out. So if there's just some general thoughts about the weekend for the Blue Jays, the first three games of this series. I think what's very obvious and at the forefront 
This team is going to score runs. I mean, as it stands right now, we are recording this podcast on uh, Sunday night following the Blue Jays' loss to the Texas Rangers. And uh, there's only one other team that has driven in more runs than the Blue Jays so far this season, and that is the Texas Rangers, who scored 22 runs against the Blue Jays pitching. The Blue Jays with 20 runs and 20 RBIs so far. They have the highest OPS in Major League Baseball through their first three games at 8 96. The offense is not going to be a problem. Um, It is the pitching right now, but as you touched on, I mean, we're basically in an extended spring training here. It was a three-week sprint for a lot of these guys. And generally, you know, the old adage is that pitchers are ahead of hitters at this time of the season, but uh, maybe that is going to change a little bit here with uh, how rushed some of these guys are getting into the season. And like you said, building up. I mean, we look across Major League Baseball how many day one opening day starters went like four innings in their first Mm -hmm. go round, right? Like I think uh, like a few pitchers went into the sixth. I think Shabnaya pitched seven innings for the Padres, but there was a long list of ace starters that uh, were either getting knocked around or not making it past the fourth inning. Like that's just what was happening around baseball right now. Yeah. I'm not not like Garrett Cole really didn't have much in, in the tank and, you know, he was, kind of complaining about uh the, the start time being four minutes delayed, which i which i laughed at like he's uh, you know such a knob of that stuff <laughs> like that um but yeah it, it doesn't concern me like i think and i'm sure we'll get to it a little bit more if you wanted to have more of a question mark about the bullpen i, I think that that is a much more legitimate conversation to have beyond a couple of quality arms and i think that that was a fair thing to forecast as a potential sore spot going into the season you know was there enough high leverage quality arms and outside of after the first weekend really Garcia Meza and Romano and I thought David Phelps looked pretty good today I think that you know obviously injuries are always the question mark with him but if he can stay healthy he should be good but you know if especially this month with one off day in the first 31 days of the season and the starting pitcher still building up and who knows you know how long it's going to take four guys to be able to confidently give you six or seven innings that's a fair point and a fair question mark is, you know, is there enough here against quality opposition with the Yankees and the Astros and the Red Sox and what have you this month uh, on the docket are you going to be able to get through unscathed if you're starting pitching is a little bit behind the eight ball. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. So as you mentioned, Ozzy Barrios gets one out, uh, the shortest outing of his entire major league career. This is a guy that has a track record. And as you touched on, I mean, you're kind of just whatever you're looking past it. It is what it is. It happens. And it's not as if he was injured or, you know, was throwing 91 miles an hour. Like he was hitting 96, just uh, was all over the place. Just did not have a feel for uh, any of his pitches seemingly as far as control goes. Uh, Kevin Gossman, your uh, initial thoughts, because, you know, come spring training, we didn't get to see a lot of him on TV. He was working in the backfields. We saw that one start against the Detroit Tigers where the splitter was looking absolutely gross and uh, definitely looked pretty gross in uh, start number one. We know that's going to be a big pitch for him. Threw the slider quite a bit. I think 13% in that first start got some swings and misses on it as well, but it wasn't all great. Uh, gave up a ton of hard contact. Uh, didn't give up a home run, which I think was good because that was a concern. I think coming into the season, he's a guy that's uh, you know prone to the long ball from time to time. Moving to a smaller park in Rogers Center is that going to be an issue? So you know, on the whole, you look at the uh, ERA predictors. The FIP, the XFIP looked good because he didn't walk anybody. Mm-hmm. Didn't give up a home run. Struck out five, but he did get knocked around and, and gave up some piss missiles from time to time to uh, the Texas Rangers. What were your uh, overall thoughts of Kevin Gossman's first start? I would say overall, I was satisfied with how Gosman looked. You know, the splitter is always going to be great. And his fastball splitter are, are really his focal point pitches. And that's why you gave him $110 million. And a lot of people pointed at it and said, well, he throws two pitches. How's that going to translate in the American League East? Not pitching in the NL West. He has a bad track record. He's a completely different pitcher than the last time he really was featured in the division with the Orioles. And, you know, some people will say, well, two pitches in this division, that's not going to work, even though Robbie Ray did it with a fastball slider, not a fastball splitter. But I, I, I don't think Kevin Gosman's going to necessarily be a Cy Young contender or pitch to a sub three ERA in this division. But if he pitches to a three and a half ERA, I think that that is exactly what you're expecting. That's front of the rotation type of stuff in this division. And with his ability to get strikeouts, like I, I'm not really... Uh, 
too concerned with what I saw. And honestly, I would say I'm more intrigued by anything with how he was throwing more change-ups and more sliders. That could easily end up just being a one-off because maybe his fastball command wasn't to his liking. Or maybe it's just the Blue Jays still continuing to see what he has and, and getting more familiar and him getting more familiar um, throwing to, you know, through to uh, Alejandro Kirk, maybe he's going to throw to Danny Jansen as well. I think that could be a factor. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be something that we see a lot of in terms of changeups and sliders going forward, but I was definitely intrigued by it. And I think it's something to keep an eye on going forward, but I'm still very uh, confident in his ability to give this club a good chance to win a ball game every time he takes the ball. Yeah, very serviceable first starts. I mean, you're not going to want five innings, three and runs every single time out, but just no. the way he pitched, you know, kept them in the ball game, uh, didn't have his best stuff at times, but you can definitely see the potential uh, in a Kevin Gossman and uh, why the Blue Jays invested so much in uh, bringing him to Toronto. So uh, as we touched on, some uh, good with Kevin Gossman, some not good with Jose Barrios and Hunjin Ryu, the uh, start against the Texas Rangers in the series finale on Sunday uh, started off decently, but obviously fell apart there in the fourth inning, got uh, smashed in the leg with a comebacker as well that uh, ultimately chased him from the game. But uh, on the day, some interesting positives, I guess you can take out of it. The the velocity looked decent, uh, much better than it did at times in the uh, season a year ago for Hunjin Ryu, you know, hitting 91, 92 occasionally um, did have four strikeouts, which uh, is something that, you know, he didn't always have last year as well uh, in those three and a third innings, but uh, definitely gave up some hard contact, gave up a Homer as well. You know, sort of the same caveat, I would say for a guy like Jose Barrios and for just a lot of pitchers, Josh, at this time, it's a work in progress. And we'd love to see, you know, Hunjin Ryu just hop back in there and look like the guy he was in 2020 but even in the second half of last year, it started to shift already. And I think we're kind of mm. at that point now where the goalposts have moved on where he is and what he is uh, as a pitcher. I don't think we can expect the 2020 season anymore. That guy is long gone. He's yeah. two years older now. He's 35. The velocity is going to wane up and down. Uh, the, you know, may, the uh, American League has you know seen him for a good go around now the last couple of years. So that's obviously working to his disadvantage it's going to be a work in progress but mm -hmm. you know if your expectations are Hunjin Ryu is going to be the 269 ERA guy he was in 2020 you got to change those expectations if he's the 437 ERA guy he was last year over a full season I think you got to take that I mean we mm -hmm. always talk about quality starts and maybe that's not the best way to you know analyze pitchers these days but as we know quality starts six innings three and in runs that's a 450 ERA so if he can you know pitch Close to what he was overall last year. When you look at the overall numbers, obviously was more of a great first half and a terrible second half that allowed those numbers to come together and give him uh, what he had at the end of the season. Uh, not ideal to have, you know, a tale of two seasons, but just on the whole, I know for me, I imagine it's the same for you. You know, the, the expectations are just different now for Hunjin Ryu at this point. Yeah, it's a lot. So much has changed. Just imagine if even last year at the beginning of the year and certainly 2020, like you couldn't rely on him. Things would just be, you know, it would be a complete disaster. You, you wouldn't uh, be able to really feel good about the team's chances of being competitive. And I think that speaks to the ability of the front office to fortify the rotation with, you know, obviously Robbie Ray last year and now Kevin Gosman and Jose Barrios and Alec Manoa appears to now be a mainstay and they got Kikuchi. And to, for my money, I was going into the season that Ryu was the fifth starter in, in terms of, I think stuff certainly. And I expected him to be the fifth most uh, effective starter or the least effective starter, if that's how you want to look at it, because, you know, the stuff just isn't quite as there as it used to be. He always relied on pinpoint command, right? That was always clearly his calling card. And he used to have more consistency in his velocity. And like we talked about last week, if his velo is sub 90 on average, he's generally not very good. And it was actually over 90 and he had some 91s. And like some people were saying, oh, well, he got a little bit unlucky. He gave up some scorching hard contact in that fourth inning. And I, like, if you give up that hard a contact, I'm not going to really call it bad luck. He, he wasn't good. And 
I also would caution against saying, oh, well, he's just going to be terrible. And, you know, he, sooner than later, he's not even going to find himself in the rotation. He's healthy. He's getting a start uh, every fifth day. And his track record is such where I think there are still going to be some gems in there. You just have to accept the fact that there are probably going to be more warts and more molehill type starts that you have to climb over than there used to be. But with the way that this offense is built, that isn't necessarily a guaranteed loss if he gives up, you know, four runs in five and two thirds or something like that. And I, I, as a fifth starter, yeah, he's making $20 million a year. Maybe it's not ideal, but that is irrelevant to me. Can he give you a chance to win more often than not when he takes the baseball? And I still believe that the answer is yes. It's not necessarily going to be seven innings of two or one run or shutout baseball, but I do think that he can consistently more often than not give you five plus of three runs or so and or six runs like you said with uh, six innings with a quality start I, I still feel pretty good about that I'm not gonna just say that well he had one terrible start to start the season and and like we just spent some time talking about how guys are building up and he's a creature of habit and needs some time to get more acclimated and comfortable again I'm like it's concerning sure but I'm not just going to say, well, he's he's done and he's cooked and he's no longer effective. I don't think we're at that point yet. And I don't think we're that close to that point or certainly as close as I think a lot of people feel like we might be. Yeah, and I think you hit on it right there earlier with the fact that they've brought in other pitchers now, whether it's a Kevin Gossman, Jose Brios last year, Alec Manoa's taking a step. You know, if this was two years ago when he was the ace of the staff, and I mean, even go back last year, I guess, before Robbie Ray became what he was and won the AL Cy Young, you needed Ryu to be really, really good every five days in order to, you know, have aspirations of making the postseason. But this year, if he is, like you said, the fifth starter, the, the least effective out of the, you know, five guys you're running out there on a regular basis, um, that's not the end of the world because you've got Manoa, Gossman, and Barrios to really be the linchpins of this rotation so I just think we're at a point it's going to be a mixed bag there's going to be some stinkers like there were on Sunday there's going to be some good starts along the way as well I mean there were some moments in the second half of last season for you even though the overall you know uh, overall starts were not very good there were some flashes and some moments here or there where you thought okay like this guy is starting to find it and then all of a sudden he would lose it again and just yeah uh, it went completely downhill for him uh, in that second half where you just wondered you know what is this guy going to be in uh, 2022 so not exactly the best starts for Ryu and especially people that have their concerns for him but it's uh, just one start so far uh, let's get a little bit more data here before we uh, start making some serious proclamations on uh, what he is at this point so let's get into the bullpen a little bit here and you look at the uh, relievers that did not give up runs this weekend and uh, Jordan Romano, uh, Jimmy Garcia, Tim Meza, Trevor Richards the only relievers to not give up runs for the Blue Jays in this three-game series against Texas. Everybody else gave up a run here or there. Romano, Garcia, Meza, for me, those are the three most important guys of this bullpen, the three guys at the back end. You mentioned David Phelps looked pretty good um, today as well. But, you know, Taylor Sacedo getting knocked around so far, that's not ideal. Uh, Adam Simber gave up a rare homer to righty uh, in the opener. And obviously, I think he's still going to be an effective reliever. Uh, Julian Merriweather. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's uh, nice. it's concerning. Well, let's yeah. just put it that way. I mean, he's yeah. healthy, but the, the stuff just is not the same seemingly mm. uh, as it was a, a year ago, whether it's because of the sticky tack uh, crackdown or what have you. But, you know, if Garcia, Mazer, Meza, Romano, you know, Richards, and I threw Simber in there and Phelps are, are going to be good. I still have, you know, high hopes for this mm -hmm. bullpen, but I think it's yeah. pretty evident that at some point, um, you know, whether it's the trade deadline, maybe a little bit earlier than there, going to need some reinforcements here to, to be a little bit more confident because through, for, through the first three games, you know, you saw some good, you saw some bad, and you definitely saw some ugly with regards to the Blue Jays bullpen. For sure. And, and I think that part of it is certainly magnified by the type of game that they've played, you know, where, in two of the three games, your starting pitcher failed to give you really anything, especially uh, in the case of Rios. But really, you know, Ryu uh, struggling to to pitch beyond the third inning is not great either. So your bullpen is already pretty taxed. It's not an ideal situation to be in uh, as you head to the Bronx for four games against the Yankees lineup that 
looks like yeah, they're a one trick pony. They're going to hit lots of home runs. Not sure they're going to do much else, but they can still put pressure on you. And there's going to probably be a fair number of tight ball games. And you're going to need your bullpen to be good. I think the, the question mark that a lot of people had coming into the season, and I think it was definitely fair is looking at Richards and Simber in particular, they were so good after coming over in, in trades last year. And like, it felt a little bit unsustainable, you know, Adam Simber throwing in the eighties and not missing bats and relying on contact. That's not necessarily a winning recipe for a leverage relief arm. And he gave up a bomb already. I think he's somebody who can pitch to, you know, a, a mid ish three, three ERA, like maybe a 3.75, which I think is perfectly acceptable. Like, I don't know if it's going to be in the low twos or anything like that. And Richards is what he is when the changeup is good. He's going to make hitters look foolish. When it's not, he's going to give up some moonshot home runs. That's just what he is. And we saw it in a little bit last year. There were some rough spots, but I think by and large, he's still quality. And like you said, you listed five, six guys who profile to be effective. There are definitely question marks. Uh, David Phelps, injury-wise, you know, Tim Mays had a great season, but I'm still concerned. Just you know, a, a large work hole, workload how that's going to hold up in terms of his elbow. He's had uh, an injury stint last year and obviously it was recovering the year before from Tommy John. So those are legitimate question marks, but you're always looking to fortify your bullpen. Even the best bullpens in baseball, like the Yankees look like they have a great bullpen. They're going to be uh, at a point at some juncture uh, of the season where they feel like they need another arm in the bullpen. It's just a war of attrition with bullpen arms. And the Blue Jays are going to have to navigate that in this first 31-day stretch. They're going to shuttle some guys to and from. Like Ryan Barucki will be healthy at some point. I expect we'll see him uh, sooner than later. But they're going to have to play musical chairs with some guys who have options just to keep fresh arms up here because these guys are going to be getting a ton, a ton of work. And I, like, I'm still relatively confident in the lion's share of them. But there's going to be a lot of tests here, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if there is enough in this bullpen uh, to start the season uh, and not risk costing yourself baseball games. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an area to, to watch for uh, quite a while here, and especially at the beginning of the season here, where they've been used quite a bit already due to uh, some of their starters unable to go any uh, give them any innings in these uh, first three games here, uh, Gossman aside, and uh, his start to begin the season. So definitely a big spot there for him to help out this taxed bullpen. Let's uh, get into the offense. And, and when I look at, you know, Vlad and I look at Bo Bichette, Teoscar, George Springer, you know, the starts they had, ho-hum. I mean, we know what these guys are going to give the Blue Jays as long as they're healthy. Uh, but Matt Chapman, the uh, newest Blue Jay, as far as the uh, offense goes, one of the newest Blue Jays, did not have a great debut game number one on Friday, three strikeouts uh, had some, you know, bobbles, some double clutches in the field as well. Maybe it was just nerves, Josh. I mean, guys are just going to have those uh, rare occasional games, but it just felt like he got a little bit more comfortable as the weekend went on uh, Saturday, drew a couple of walks and then hit a monster bomb on uh, Sunday in the series finale for his first big Homer of the season. And you just look at, you know, what he can do defensively. That's never going to be an issue, of course. But uh, offensively, um, what have you seen so far from Matt Chapman? And uh, do you think he's going to be able to hit 40 bombs? Is he going to be able to have that monster offensive season that uh, maybe I and some other people have predicted for? Him? Well, certainly, certainly me as well. As, uh, I've gone out, out on quite a limb. Like I, I tweeted out I, I that I'm predicting he leads the team in home runs. That's a, a scorcher, I think. And I got uh, raked over the coals for it. But I think he's been exactly what we all should have expected from him offensively strikeouts, walks, home runs, hits the ball hard. That's what he is. And if he's healthy, he's going to do all of those things in spades. He just needs to have the strikeout rate, not at or over 30%. Like it has been each of the last couple of years. If it's at 24, 25% and he's walking 10 to 12, 13% of the time, he's going to be a very productive offensive player because the pop is legit. He smashed that ball today to a deep part of the ballpark and it was effortless. And like when he squares one up, it's generally seeking going to be very hard and going to go a very long way. So I've seen exactly what I expected from him. It was all just, you know, how he's feeling with the hip after surgery is, is everything going to be good? Is he more recovered, you know, a, a year plus removed from it? You know, last year it seemed like he was still fighting it. We saw him wincing a little bit uh, as well in, in spring training, but he seems healthy. 
defensively, obviously, you know, he's great. He's already shown it uh, at a number of points through the first three games of the season, but I'm encouraged by what I've seen from him offensively. He's going to have plenty of opportunities like he did on Sunday with a couple of men on base to bring them all in with one swing of the bat. And I think he's going to do it a bunch. Yep. I'm uh, hopeful that uh, will happen as well to uh, help my bold prediction. And of course, if uh, Matt Chapman can have just any type of above average season, then that is definitely good for this Blue Jays team. Let's uh, get into one of your favorite topics. And that, of course, is Danny Jansen. And uh, we've been waiting for it for a long, long time, Josh, the uh, emergence of Jano. He had an incredible second half last year, and it seems like he's carried it over here into the early part of this season where he's got uh, two homers so far on the year, um, had a big double off the wall in the series finale as well. Five for seven, a 21 96. Yeah. hitting the ball with authority batting at the bottom of this order. I mean, he's not going to move up probably any higher than seven, even if he, you know, has a, a really strong offensive season, just because there's so many guys above him that are, uh, you know, have bigger track records as uh, major league hitters, but you know, I'm not saying that you're going to have Danny Jansen putting up a, a 900 OPS or something, but I mean, if you can get an 800 OPS, Ooh, something close to yeah. that, just based off of the slugging that Danny Jansen seems to have in his uh, bat now, because I mean, the one thing I'll say about his home runs, I mean, I know the one today was a, a wall scraper, but this guy can run into them. And oh, yeah, when time. he gets a hold of one, they go really far. Yeah. And uh, we saw it, of course, uh, in the opener on uh, opening day for Danny Jansen. But uh, I, maybe you're biased. Maybe you're the wrong person to ask. We need to find somebody that's a little bit <laughs> yeah. more, um, you know, maybe uh, opposed to Danny Jansen becoming, uh, uh, you know, a really strong above average hitter. But just from what we've seen so far, I mean, it's just got to give you a lot of excitement and hope that maybe he has finally figured something out at the plate. And uh, he's not going to be, you know, the the guy that we saw a couple of years ago really struggle at the dish. He's, you know, got some pop in that bat. And, and maybe he just knows what he is at this point. A guy that, you know, can work in at bat and occasionally just run into him. I would say I giddy is the right word for what I've seen in terms of how I'm feeling about Danny Jansen's start to the season. Like, is he going to have a 2200 OPS for very long? No. And that's why I love early season samples, especially when somebody gets off to a hot start because the numbers are just astronomical video game, but the at-bats have been good. Like I can't really think of, of a single really bad at bat uh, that he's had so far to start the season. He hasn't struck out. He's walked once. You mentioned the double scored three runs like the, the um, what we saw, I guess, what was it on uh, Saturday when Espinal drove him in, you know, he draws a walk and then Espinal drives him in at the bottom of the order. And then you turn it over and Springer's up with a man in scoring position that I think is the potential that is so exciting about this lineup. And they scored a, a bunch of runs uh, in, in the three games, but the bottom of the order, I think profiles to have some teeth this year where you're not going to have automatic outs. And like maybe in two weeks, this looks like a terrible conversation as Danny Jansen's mired in a two for 27 slump, which could certainly happen. But I think we forget a lot of people forget he was an offensive minded catcher coming up. Nobody thought he was going to be good defensively. They thought he would have to hit to keep up his value in major league baseball. And the reverse has happened. He's been by and large, very solid. I know some people think he's overrated, you know, in certain metrics, but I, I think he's a quality major league catcher uh, for my money. And offensively, he just hasn't showcased outside of seemingly late season surges every year that you're not really sure how to put into perspective. So if he can get off to a good start this year, and he already is, that is encouraging because that hasn't been the case. It's like by the 1st of June, he's scuffling so bad that you're wondering whether he needs to go down to the minors for a tune-up stint to maybe get some, some better at bats and build up some confidence. But I, I said before the year, I've been saying seemingly every year since he became a full-time major leaguer, I think he can hit 20 home runs or more and keep, the starting catcher job or play the bulk of the games at catcher. Like Kirk's going to play, but he's also going to DH a lot. Like I think Danny Jansen has a whole heck of a lot of value on this ball club. And I think that this is finally, I know I'm a broken record, finally the year that he actually puts it together for a hundred to 110 games and gives you real quality stuff from start to finish and a lot of value at a premium position, considering the state of affairs 
for basically every other major league team who really has a great all around catcher in baseball. They're few and far between. It's like a unicorn now. Yeah. It's uh, really tough to find, you know, a guy that can give it to you on uh, both sides. I mean, Tampa Bay obviously has it in Mike Zanino, Uh, Sal Perez, not the same, you know, defensive player that he has been uh, in years past, but a guy that could obviously, you know, swing it and hit a lot of home runs a season ago. But uh, Danny Jansen has the potential here to be the total package. And maybe I should have put that down as one of my bold predictions. Instead of Nate Pearson making the all-star team, I should have picked Danny Jansen to uh, make the all-star team. You'd be looking great right now. I'd be looking great. Yeah, Yeah. my bold prediction would be uh, hot out of the gates. But uh, Nate Pearson, uh, not so much this is a topic of course everybody was talking about i would say even after the first game uh there were a lot of conversations uh during spring training with the way he looked as well but the early returns i mean everybody seems to be on uh, team espinal at this point for full-time second base and uh, why wouldn't you be two massive uh, go-ahead rbi doubles in the first two games of the season to help the blue jays win those games we know what you're going to get from him defensively whether it's at second short third base this guy can uh you know go anywhere and take the glove and uh, give you some solid defense of course but the bat has looked pretty darn good so far mm-hmm. this season for uh, espinal you know i feel like we're going to be hearing about the 15 pounds of muscle like the entire season every time he smashes a ball you know uh sets a new exit velocity measure that he uh, did in the first couple of games there but you know, we touched on it with the starting pitching. You're, you're trying to not take it with a grain of salt, but you understand it's early returns and, you know, we don't have enough data to work with. But with regards to Espinal, I mean, I don't know where you were before uh, the season began, but now that we've seen the first couple of games here, Kevin Biggio really hasn't done much out of outside of, you know, a nice dive and catch. Uh, I think it was on Saturday to save a run for Kevin Gossman, but at the plate hasn't really found his uh, swing yet. Whereas you've got Santiago Espinal who's smashing these doubles. Uh, it, it's hard not to look at him and wonder, maybe you just kind of run with it, but I, I totally get where the coaching staff is coming from. You don't want to just lose Kevin Biggio, yeah. you know, three games in the season and say like, we're done with you. Like I know yeah. you're trying to win games and, and we've seen it. Charlie Montoyo has, you know, gone to a strict platoon here. Soon as a lefty comes in and uh, Biggio's coming to bat, he switched to Espinal and, and, you know, likewise obviously would be the case if, uh, you know, Kevin Biggio was to come up against a righty uh, instead of a lefty for, uh, sorry, instead of a righty for Espinal. But um, where do you stand on this right now? Is it too early to just hand Espinal the full time job or is it a case where you run with the hot hand? We're trying to win games here in April. You, uh, you know, obviously can't win a world series this month, but as the saying goes, you can uh, definitely lose one. Where do you stand on the Espinal Biggio debate? That's going to be raging all season well i you know i'm just certainly one of i think a, a few remaining Kevin biggio supporters like I, I think a lot of people have soured on him fan wise like there's a a growing borderline tidal wave of play espinal all the time and i totally get where you're coming from because the spring has been good and the season was really good last year and i, I think that espinal deserves to play but i also think that biggio deserves to play like, am I really going to write a guy off after three games? No, but you could also say, well, he was awful last year. Sure, he was, but he was also dealing with a, a variety of different injuries. And I just think that the pendulum has swung too far each way. Like, is Kevin Biggio as bad as he's been through the first three games and however many it was last year dealing with all these injuries? Absolutely not. Is Santiago Espinal as good as he was last year and as good as he has been so far this year maybe but i think we're still at a point where it's too premature to say the guy still only has two home runs in his big league career he's not exactly you know known for swinging a big stick i think that he deserves the opportunity to play and so and so does biggio like i said maybe it can shift more so espinal is playing uh, a little bit more against uh, right-handed pitching. But I also do think that we're going to see some lineups where they're both in, where Biggio's probably playing right field. I know it's not necessarily your best defensive alignment, and I, I don't know how I necessarily feel about it, but I do think that we're going to see that. And you know, I, I continue to just say, well, Kevin Biggio for basically a full season over 2019 and 2020 was a well above average offensive player. And are you just going to say, well, Pitchers figured him out. He was never that good. Maybe, but I, I, I just am refusing to abandon a player who showed a full season's worth of games 
as a very quality all around, certainly offensive player. And at second base, a decent defensive player, not anything to write home about, but not a liability by any means. But I guess the argument that people make is Espinal is just a better fit for this team because of his glove and his bat to ball skills. And that is fair at the bottom of the order. Don't you want more contact than Biggio who, you know, I know he can make contact, but he's really known for drawing those walks and hitting for power. So is Espinal a better fit in that regard? It's hard to argue uh, that he isn't. So I think it's going to continue to be a real interesting situation to monitor, but I expect that at least for the next couple of weeks, unless somebody separates or craters, Biggio continues to crater after a tough start to the season, then I think it's still going to be roughly a platoon even type of split in terms of games played at second base. Yeah. And and you don't need to make the decision three games into the season to say like, this is who we're going with. We're running with them for the next little while. Um, You know, maybe that will get to a point where Charlie Montoyo just says, you know what? Uh, Espinal is just undeniable at this point and just needs to play as much as humanly possible but you know I think it's pretty clear there's going to be moments where you know Espinal scuffles and there's going to be moments where you know BGO looks really good and it's going to flip-flop back and forth um, with both of these guys I mean that's just how it works guys are going to go through slumps and guys are going to go through hot streaks and and right now it just happens to be at the beginning of the season that Espinal is going through his hot streak and uh, Kevin BGO is uh, you know as cold as cold can be right now to kick off the regular season so the uh, blue jays of course uh you know continue to shuffle things up with regards to their roster we have saw of course make a deal with the cleveland guardians bradley zimmer coming over to the blue jays in exchange for anthony castro and uh, zimmer has yet to get into a game just joined the team on sunday goske kato going down to uh, make room for zimmer on the major league roster and seems pretty obvious what he is going to be on this team josh as a, a fourth maybe fifth outfielder depending on what happens with rymel tapia who's gotten into a bunch of games so far i mean before we get into zimmer i guess your thoughts on tapia because now we, we've seen him obviously runs like the wind uh yeah. the bat though yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the groans the bleh i mean i think yeah, that kind of kind of says it all uh yeah. you know no no different than from what we've seen you know historically for him he's not a guy that's gonna you know hit a ton of home runs it's just a lot of ground balls uh you know a guy that would have been perfect for baseball in the 90s uh not so much for the uh, 2020s but you know with bradley zimmer here a guy that can go and get it in the outfields. I mean, mm-hmm. can play above average center field, has some pop, you know, runs uh, just as well, if not better than a guy like Rymel Tapia. It just feels like he's a better fit, even though we haven't yeah. seen him play a single game. Just seems like he's a better fit for this Blue Jays th- team than uh, Tapia. Bradley Zimmer's had a pretty awful career in terms of productivity. There's been a lot of expectation, a little bit of hype and power, speed, outfield, left-handed, side of the plate he just hasn't panned out it just hasn't been good there have been brief glimmers but I I think right now for what it's worth from me I think he's the fourth outfielder I just think he checks more boxes for this Blue Jays team than Rymel Tapia more pop uh, similar amount of speed like you said and just better defensively in center field and that's more important uh, than what Rymel Tapia brings like he lashes the ball to the opposite field, kind of slaps it. There's just no punch in that swing uh, whatsoever, seemingly. Like, sure, he seems to run into one from time to time, and when he does, he hits it a long way, but he just doesn't do that enough. And Bradley Zimmer doesn't do that enough either, but when he does make contact, it's hard. And Rymel Tapia doesn't really make consistently hard contact. The odd time he hits home runs, it's hard, but it's so few and far between. When Bradley Zimmer overall makes contact with the baseball it's pretty hard it's it's in a, a good percentile in terms of average exit velocity so there's something there he's speed off the bench another option you know primarily center field but can play some left and then if you have a fifth outfielder with tapia you know he can play a little bit as well in the corners but now that zimmer's here i think i'm probably more inclined to not have rymel tapia in center field i know he said it's like uh, rice and beans at, at his house <laughs> But uh, I'd rather have uh, Bradley Zimmer uh, comfortably with almost 200 games of career center field experience 
than Rymel Tapia. Yeah. Now Tapia can put a ball in play because it didn't strike out very much. And yeah. we did see him drop down a bunt. And we know Ooh, Charlie I, Montoya loves the bunt. My heart stopped when I saw that. I was so excited. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't love a good bunt? I mean, Charlie loves the bunt. So maybe that at the very least made uh, keep Rymel Tapia at the major league level. But uh, just on the whole, I mean, Zimmer seems to have uh, the tools and the positional flexibility that fits this team a lot better. And, you know, people are trying to drop comparisons and, I guess he's kind of like Derek Fisher in that he has the oh, power God. can run, but unlike Derek Fisher can actually catch a baseball in the outfield <sighs> with a glove and not True. his face. Um, yeah. that, that's kind of big, you know, <laughs> you don't get it out. If you catch the ball with your face, I mean, it, maybe if you caught it in your mouth, I don't know. I mean, we've never seen that before, but if uh, Derek Fisher caught the ball uh, with his mouth, would he uh, register it out? Possibly. <laughs> Uh, needs to be tested out first, I think. But uh, Zimmer, you know, just seems like one of those guys kind of fits exactly what this front office loves. A yeah. guy with exit velocity, guy with tools, basically. Um, they obviously are familiar with him. Mark Trapauer, Ross Atkins from uh, their days in Cleveland uh, when they would have selected him back in 2014 as a first round pick, number 21. Uh, overall. So I'm interested to see Bradley Zimmer, but, you know, very much like Rymel Tapia, a lot of these guys at the back end of the roster. I mean, if these guys are, you know, in a situation where the Blue Jays are relying on them, that is really bad uh, that yeah. they're relying on them to, to win a lot of games. So hopefully it doesn't get to that point because that means they are dealing with uh, numerous injuries to the outfield. Let's uh, get into some listener questions. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at DFA underscore Pod got a couple we wanted to get to this week. Uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, it's definitely a topic that uh, many have discussed. Many are still discussing, especially with their hot starts to the season. Josh, but uh, Chris Choi asks on Twitter: financial reasons, skepticism over long-term durability. What legitimate reasons do you give for not extending Vladdy and Bo yet? And uh, even Teoscar Hernandez, who uh, you and I talked a lot last year about Teoscar Hernandez and what yeah. a potential extension would look like. Um, I want to start with Teoscar, uh, a massive home run, of course, uh, on opening day. looks to uh, be a guy that's going to be, you know, an all-star caliber player, a silver slugger type hitter for at least the next few years. And, and I felt for me, I just wasn't in a rush to extend this guy. I, yeah. I think, you know, for me, I just want to let it play out. It's got a couple of years left of uh, roster control um, with this uh, Toronto Blue Jays team. And when you get to that point where he's set to be a free agent the final year, then you figure out what you want to do. Yeah. But for me, Teoscar was just sort of, you know, gravy, kind of icing on the cake here um, for this team. Bo, Vladdy, George Springer, you know, that's the core of this team. And everybody else, not that they're expendable, but, you know, you kind of take it as it goes. And I think for Teoscar, you play out this season, you play out next season, and then you figure it out. I mean, they they reportedly did talk to him about extension, and they obviously couldn't come to an agreement um, last year. Um, but I just think for me, uh, let's see what happens uh, come 2023. And then you, you figure out if you want to extend him, you want to let him walk. Uh, I think that's how I would play it out if it were me. And there were also some rumblings, I think, from somebody down in, in Florida that there were some trade talks involving Tay Oscar before the lockout, like back in November with the Marlins and Brian Anderson, the third baseman and a potential pitcher who knows who it was of that stable of young rotation pieces uh, in Miami. And that obviously didn't come to fruition. I'm with you. I'm not rushing to lock up Tay Oscar. I think Tay Oscar is a great fit for this ball club in every way, shape and form. Great team guy, great in the clubhouse and obviously a great presence in the cleanup spot. I've said more than once that I think he's the ideal cleanup hitter for the way that this lineup is constructed, but he's going to be a DH, I think, before too long. He's made some strides defensively. Like it was a complete dumpster fire a couple of years ago, and he's not as bad as he was. He's actually gotten decent, but that's not really his calling card. He's going to make his hay with his bat and sneaky speed uh, a little bit uh, as well, even though I didn't think that that was a good decision to send him on uh, uh, Friday night. It did get bailed out, but he's going to be a DH, I, I think, for the lion's share of his next deal. So how do you really go about valuing that? And I think that there could be some squabbles potentially if he values himself as more of an outfielder views himself as more of an outfielder and the Jays or another team see him as primarily a DH who mix in uh, mixes in at, at outfield. Be interesting to see how that kind of comes together, but he's far down the totem pole uh, of importance to put pen to paper on a long-term deal. Vladdy and Bo, there's no excuse uh, to me. It should have been done. 
It continues to be something that I think should be done. I'm surprised somewhat that it isn't done. And it hasn't necessarily been the track record of Mark Shapiro led front offices to sign these kind of mega deals with arbitration and team control left to buy out those years and free agency years, but they got to do it. These guys got to be locked up long-term, both of them. To me, it's a failure. If you don't re-sign both to long-term deals, I, I think we talked about this a bit last week and I reiterate that not one, both have to be signed long-term for big money because they're monsters and they're going to be monsters for a very long time. And hopefully leading you to what is multiple appearances and championships uh, down the road. Yeah. I think, you know, you're with me and I think a lot of other people as well, you have to find a way to get these guys signed um, sooner rather than later. I mean, they're going to be expensive no matter what, but I think it's a situation where, you know, because they haven't been signed yet, uh, we saw uh, Bo Bichette make some comments that, you know, they definitely talked about uh, extension this spring training. They obviously couldn't come to an agreement and he just said, you know what, I don't want to deal with it during the season. We can maybe visit it uh, down the road, but you know, it's a case where maybe there's just not a number right now that, that makes sense for both sides. I mean, as much as we want the Blue Jays to just throw whatever, the, you know, the, 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 these guys want and just give them blank check, that's not how it works, right? Like, it's still a situation where you're trying to structure your payroll down the road and you look at the yeah. comparables out there, whether it's uh, Fernando Tatis and, and what he has uh, gotten as a member of the San Diego Padres. I mean, there, there's a lot of contracts out there that have sort of set the bar and Vladdy and Bo are going to be uh, in that range somewhere, but they also know that, you know, they want to maximize their value as much as possible. Does it make sense to, you know, lock up a lot of their free agent years um, at a specific number when they feel, you know what, when I get there, I could be making more than that. So, yeah. you know, it's up to these guys as well. And as everyone has talked about, they don't exactly come from poverty. Uh, they come from, you know, two dads that made a lot of money uh, playing major league baseball. This isn't a case of a, a Ronald Acuna Jr. who as much as, you know, I think uh, his agents probably, you know, banging his head against the wall saying, geez, I, I wish, you know, maybe we held out for not a little bit more, a lot more. He just wanted the financial security because mm -hmm. he's a guy that, you know, didn't come from great means. And he's thinking, God, I can play baseball. And heck, I mean, he blew out his ACL last year. So that's sort of, you know, another thing that shows. I mean, for a lot of these guys, um, they kind of want to just, you know, get the money um, as quickly as they can. And, and hopefully that will, you know, help them uh, financially, uh, you know, now and down the line. But I think it's just a case where, you know, the Blue Jays have an idea of what they want to do and Bo and Vladdy have an idea of what they do want to do. And right now it just hasn't come together. They just haven't been able to find that middle ground. Doesn't mean it can't get done this off season, the off season after that. I mean, I think the Blue Jays would be silly to spend all this money that they've spent the last couple of years here, um, building up the organization, renovating the Rogers center and be like, you know what, we're going to do all that and not sign the two yeah. most important pieces of this franchise. Like that just wouldn't make any sense. Does that mean that the blue Jays, you know, are, if they don't resign them in, you know, five, six years that they're just not going to spend any more money. I mean, maybe we'll see when we get there, but it just wouldn't add up if the blue Jays did all these things. Mark Shapiro did all these things to surround yeah. these two guys. And we're just like, you know what, we're just going to let it play out. And if they leave, they leave. Like, I can't imagine that's, that's the conversation going on right now uh, in the front office. No, definitely not. You're, you're, you're spot on with that. And honestly, I think, you know, all this talk about uh, like who's going to want what and how much people are going to ask for and resources and payroll commitments. Honestly, I, fans just don't really give a shit about, you know, that sort of stuff. They just want to see like, and it's all kind of cyclical. If you invest in the players who are going to make your team good, Fans are going to spend money coming to games. We've seen just packed house after packed house here to start the season. If the team is good, the fans will come, they'll spend money, the revenues will be flush, and you'll be able to support a top five payroll. And I think that that is where the Blue Jays should be. I know that you know, there's some thought that they, that are uh, some talk that they're more in the five to 10 range. Like, I don't see why they can't be in the, in the four or five range. You know, there's, I know that you've got a communications conglomerate that has other considerations to make but if you have strong revenues and your team is good that's all uh you know fans are going to care about is that the team is good and they're going to spend money and it's your job to ensure that the team is good for the fans to cheer for and spend that money on and it's in incumbent 
on this off, uh, front office to get it done with these players and find a number that they're comfortable signing so they can you know, buy out some of those free agent years and not feel like they're leaving anything on the table. Yeah, look, they're going to be under team control, like I said, for uh, quite a few years, and uh, maybe it'll get here faster than you think. Um, I should probably, you know, pay some sort of a fine for saying this, but uh, we uh, love making hockey comparisons here. And you look at, yeah. you know, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. It felt like just yesterday it was their rookie season. They're playing the Washington Capitals in the playoffs in the first round. And fast forward, it's like, oh, we're two years away from Austin Matthews being a free agent. Yeah. Like, where where did these years go? Yeah. Like, that could be a case where, you know, the time will fly and we're like, oh, geez, Bo and Vladdy are uh, ready for free agency. They have not signed any extensions. What are we going to do? Like, we'll get there when we get there. But right now honestly just enjoy what you're seeing with these guys they're not going anywhere they're under team control you know for uh, quite a while here so um, we'll always be revisiting the uh, extension conversation seemingly until it gets done but uh, thanks for the question Chris Uh, another one here from Mitch on Twitter at DFA underscore pod he says uh, is Alejandro Kirk an everyday starter for this team if so give me your thoughts on the other two catchers and their usages over the next month into the season well we already gave our thoughts on uh, Danny Jansen, of course. And if he's swinging the bat, if he's playing the defense he's capable of, he's getting the majority of the starts on this team, mm-hmm. uh, no doubt. And from what we've seen so far from Alejandro Kirk, he's probably going to catch a couple times uh, during a week. He's going to get most, most of his starts at DH. We haven't seen Zach Collins yet. I mean, I don't know if we'll be seeing Zach Collins anytime yeah. soon uh, on this team. There's no real need to have him, you know, pinch hit as a lefty bat when you've got right now, Rymel Tapia and you've got, you know, Bradley Zimmer uh, in the fold. But with regards to, you know, Alejandro Kirk, he's gotten off to a decent start. He's got a, a couple of hits. He's uh, hit a couple of balls deep to the outfield that uh, mm-hmm. didn't exactly have the oomph to uh, get over the fence. But, you know, a couple of starts behind the plate a week, some DH. I mean, that, that kind of fits in well, I, I would say, for his role on this team. Yeah, like if you're playing six or seven games a week, I think he catches two or three. Jansen catches four or five. And then Kirk plays three or four times uh, at, at DH, uh, depending on if other guys need an off day. And, you know, Springer played uh, at DH today and, and we saw Tapia in, in center field. Maybe you shuffle things around that way. But I think that that's the alignment that I'd like. They're both in the lineup, you know, five, six times a week, depending on the number of games. And you rotate things around. And, you know, Kirk caught. Robbie Ray last year it seems like at least to start the season he's going to catch the Robbie Ray replacement and Kevin Gosman you know that Jansen is going to catch Barrios generally and he's also going to catch uh, Ryu Manoa I think is kind of a mixed bag I think he seems like he's comfortable throwing to anyone and then we'll see what happens with Kikuchi but Jansen hits he plays no question and Kirk will hit enough to be a legit DH and also mix in a catcher so it's we've been talking about it for years, seemingly with the blue Jays and and their catching situation, but it's robust. It's strong. Like I think Zach Collins is not a bad option. Decent lefty bat. I know that he struggled to find consistency as a major leaguer. And then you look further down, you know, there's obviously uh, Gabriel Moreno and others that are waiting in the wings. Catching is a very good spot for the blue Jays right now. They are set. I, I feel really good about the overall picture when it comes to the catching position for this franchise. Yeah. And they're always seemingly grabbing catchers through the draft or through international free agency. Like they love picking up shortstops and catchers. That's all this uh, front office does. And they find a way to uh, convert these guys to other positions and uh, turn them into stars. Like we're seeing with uh, Gabrielle Moreno, who uh, is obviously still uh, not with the Bisons yet, but uh, we'll be getting there shortly once he uh, builds things up still down in Florida, uh, getting to spring training late, of course, with the visa Issues. All right, one more segment to uh, wrap things up, and it's our player of the week segment. Only three games to take data of, but uh, we like to call this segment the Tay Oscars. I mean, it's I perfect. Like it fits yeah. so well. Uh, insert your Will Smith joke here. Yeah, uh, no Will Smith like thing to. here. No slaps. <laughs> it's all civil. Yeah, it's all civil. It's all positives. Uh, we've got five candidates for these first three games. They are as follows. I mean, how can you how can you have something called the Tay Oscars and not have Tay Oscar Hernandez, who already has one of the biggest homers of the season so far? That monster game tying three run shot on uh, opening day, opening night against the Texas Rangers. Uh, the other nominees are Santiago Espinal, his two big go ahead RBI doubles, Danny Jansen, who as we mentioned before, five for seven, two homers and an OPS over twenty one hundred. Our uh, Jordan Romano, who uh, picked up a couple of saves in the first two games of the season, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the final nominee, five 
five for 11 to begin the season, one homer, four RBIs, picking up exactly where he left off a season ago when he was an AL MVP finalist. All right, Josh, your first Teoscar of the season. Who are you giving it to? Well, it's obvious. Like everyone who knows that you listed the, the nominees, everyone knew who I was going to pick right away. It's Danny Jansen. And to me, honestly, I don't even know if it's all that close. Like I understand that there were leverage situations, you know, Teoscar's Homer was a big moment. SB's uh, two big go ahead RBI doubles, big moments. Vladdy hit a ball, what, like almost 118 miles an hour, the longest home run of his career at almost 470 feet Romano two saves, but come on, Danny Jansen has a big week, hits a big insurance home run to make it a 10, eight ball game on opening night. Another extra base hit with a double. He's looking really good. And uh, for me, it's a, it's an easy choice and it might be the only time this season. Hopefully it's not that he's a runaway choice for me, but Danny Jansen gets my Tay Oscar. Uh, for this week yeah not shocking uh i so i didn't pick danny jansen because i had a feeling you were gonna pick yes so uh, i decided to be contrarian here and uh, as much as i you know loved what i saw from teoscar and i saw from espinal romano and jansen i'm going vladdy i'm going with vladimir guerrero jr for my first teoscar of the season i hit that monster home run like you said in the series finale against the texas rangers made a really nice uh, over the shoulder catch uh, earlier in the series as well had a couple of big rbis on uh, opening nights. And I just think from what we've seen so far, I mean, just a continuation of a season ago. And I think what's interesting this year and, and just the conversation around, you know, whether it's Bo Bichette, uh, Lourdes Correal Jr., George Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, I don't know if you feel the same way as I do. And once again, we're, we're going to have to have uh, some sort of a, a jar here where I just keep filling it up. But it's, it's you know, whether it's the Maple Leaf comparisons or even the Raptors comparisons from, you know, a couple of years ago where, you know, you had these disappointments in the playoffs. At this point, just just win, right? Like, I don't care how you do it. Just win ball games. Like in, in the second game of the season, you know, we saw Vladdy with some, you know, sort of weak singles to right field. And maybe a year ago, we're like, oh, like, would be nice if he hit the ball with authority. Yeah. But we saw that in game one. We saw it today with that monster home run into the flight deck. But it's not as if I was like groaning when I saw him dunk a ball into right field for a base hit and, and driving in a run. It's just like, driving runs that's all i care like i don't want you to hit like we saw i think it was opening night where he hit that ball uh, to center field and it had an expected batting average of 860 yeah. like a year ago two years ago when he was on the come up and having you know these um big time exit velocities but it wasn't adding to anything it was like okay that's great but now i don't even care you can just you know dribble a ball through the shift on the right side and you drive in a run and i'll be very happy with that it does not need to be you know 100 miles an hour it'd be great if it was but I'm just kind of at the standpoint now where just any positive results, I think, is good for the Blue Jays just because the expectations now are so high. Yeah, it's really well said. The most important stat this year is wins. And, and if it means that a certain guys hit a few less home runs and drive in a few less runs and don't have the kind of gaudy numbers, but you're right there at the end of the season where you want to be in terms of your win totals and division ideally is certainly at the very least a playoff spot, then that's all that really matters. And Vladdy is going to be there. There's no doubt about it. Like the ball he hit out today was just, Oh my God, it was, it was incredible. Just flight deck first home run of the season in the opening series at home capacity crowds again at, at the dome. That's what you want to see. This is what we've been envisioning for Vladdy since he was hyped up. He's taken batting practice during the 2015 season when he was 16 years old. One day, the team being good, the crowds being there, and him destroying baseballs into orbit. And it's finally happening. And it's a really cool thing to see happen that he's delivering on it because all of the, a lot of times these highly touted prospects, even with famous fathers, they don't necessarily live up to the hype. And sometimes it's unfair how these young kids, teenagers, early 20s, the weight of the world is put on their shoulders. But after some early struggles, you know, his his weight and, and figuring everything out, how to be a major leaguer, taking things. Uh, I don't want to necessarily want him to say more seriously, but he has admitted that, you know, his approach changed a little bit. It came so naturally to him that he just had to adjust because the majors are the majors and it's very difficult. And now he seems to have figured it out. Like he's just so locked in with every facet 
of his being basically as a baseball player that it's just so incredible to see that it's actually happened. Not to mention that Bo Bichette is basically also doing the same thing. And they, they were these highly touted players for the last five, six years and that they're doing it together, blossoming at the same time. It's uh, we're hashtag blessed as, as uh, people covering this team and Blue Jays fans. This is what you want to see. It's all you could ever ask for and more. Yeah, truly wild that both of these guys have lived up to the expectations and more that uh, many people had for them coming up through the Blue Jays system. All right, that'll do it for episode number two of Designated for Assignment. You can follow us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod. Always uh, send us your thoughts, your comments. Of course, you can find us on Spotify, Google uh, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe, our pod. That'd be much appreciated. That'll do it for Josh Goldberg and myself. We'll talk to you in a week's time for episode number three. This has been the DFA pod. We'll talk to you next Sunday.